So Jesus, you revive all things, including us, and pray that you would use your word and the thoughts we're going to think in these next few minutes to revive us and to help us follow you more. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good to see you, 945. Hey, just to let you know, this service keeps growing, which is awesome. There's often seats in the front and sort of scattered about, so there's, there's still room here. There's also an 11 o'clock modern service, if you'd like to go to that. Uh, a lot of people prefer that because the sermon's on video, which means you can make noise and throw things at the screen and whatnot. So, uh, and it's great, but it's great to have all of you here. Good to see all of you on the podcast as well. There's a man I know, he lives in Honolulu, I'm going to call him Dave. And one day, Dave got a nudge from the Holy Spirit to go to his son's, the principal of his son's high school, and ask to be chaplain of the baseball team. Now, that was kind of a scary thing, because it was a public school, so you've got all the church-state stuff. But on top of that, when Dave was in high school, he had many opportunities himself to go to the principal's office, never in the good way. So that was kind of a scary thing. But the nudge persisted, so Dave went, and at first the school said no, But he just kind of kept at it, and finally the principal said, okay, look, you can have two minutes before the next game, but don't talk about God, Jesus, prayer, church, the Bible, or anything spiritual. Just be inspiring. So he went, he was inspiring, and out of that, he decided to get men from his church to each befriend one player on the baseball team, take them out to coffee, show them how to change their oil in their car, that sort of thing, and to pray for that player and for team morale, which was really low because they were dead last in their league. And at first the baseball coach objected and said, you can't do that. But Dave said, look, it's not like what you're doing is working, right? Like prayer could hardly hurt. So after uh, several, you know, after he did that and after several weeks of that, morale on the team improved as did their playing. And they ended the season with the best record they had ever had. So the next year, the football, basketball, and soccer coaches, they all wanted chaplains for their team, and their teams all improved. So in light of that, I've decided to offer my services to the Mariners. (laughs) Because somebody's got to do something, right? Just out of the goodness of my heart, and maybe some Diamond Club tickets, I don't know. Well, so then Dave's son said to him, you know, Dad, my high school is filled with drugs and gangs and crime, and I want every student in my school to have someone praying for him, not just the, not just the athletes. So Dave talked to some pastors. They got 18 churches together uh, to, to, to pray for this high school. Every kid in that high school had someone praying for them and occasionally taking them to coffee and just being a friend. They kicked the entire thing off with a giant prayer service where they asked Jesus to heal that high school. The very next day, the top three drug dealers in that school were arrested. The police had been trying to arrest them for years, but they always somehow got away. Then, over the next year, crime in that school dropped 50%, and test scores and graduation rates went way up. So now, several other high schools are asking to have churches pray for their students as well. Dave started a movement. Now, let me ask you this question. When Dave told me that story, what do you think the tone of voice was for him? You think he said, so then crime dropped and it was, it was kind of cool. <laughs> right? Of course not. There was excitement. There was enthusiasm. There was, he was exhilarated. It's like a couple of years ago when we took our kids to Hawaii and I showed them how to body surf and they just loved it. And at one point I had to go to our hotel room to get something. From our hotel room, I could hear my son laughing as he was body surfing. 
When I am an old man, I will still remember that sound. It is fun to be carried along by something bigger than you, like a wave or a movement. Last week, I gave you that history lesson about how we are living through one of three, only three major shifts in culture in the last 2,000 years. And I showed you this slide. And the first major cultural shift was with the fall of Rome. And the second was the medieval to the modern. And the one we're in now is the modern to the postmodern. Don't worry what that word means. I'll explain it to you someday. And I said that for the most part, Christians responded well to the first shift, hence the smiley face, and not so well to the second shift, hence the frowny face, right? And, it, and it's TBD how the history of this age is going to be written. And the D... The determiner is you and me and how we participate with God in reviving all things. And I talked about what went wrong under Henry VIII and Bloody Mary and how Elizabeth I fixed it and all of that. And I'm going to do something I've never done before. If you missed it, would you please watch it this week, preferably today before you forget? It's on our website because it kind of sets the stage for some of the stuff I'm going to talk about in upcoming sermons. So just be helpful to all of us, to me, if you kind of have that in your head. But also because I hope it gives you hope. That, that an excitement that the kind of cultural shift we are living through comes along only once or twice every thousand years. And God must have a lot of faith in you and me to have us born in this era. We have an opportunity to be like the first century Christians in Rome who transformed a culture for the good, not through politics, not through the use of the sword, but simply by living differently, more joyfully, courageous in the face of suffering, sacrificially serving those around them. And gradually they started a movement in the Roman Empire and one by one by one, people started following Jesus and then the culture began to shift. And suddenly things started happening like women and slaves had more freedom and gladiator games weren't interesting anymore, nor were crucifixions or human sacrifice. A whole lot of stuff changed in that culture. And then the same thing happened again after the fall of Rome. Europe was re-Christianized by Christians who went out in missional communities, teams of about 50 people, and just lived differently, sacrificially serving the Celtic and Germanic tribes throughout Europe. And slowly, the culture began to shift as more and more people followed Jesus. A whole lot of stuff changed, culturally speaking, at least until the kings and politicians got involved. And if we want to respond well to this major cultural shift that we are living through, one of only three in the last 2,000 years, then it, Christianity needs to be more like that. It needs to be more of a movement, not a monument. Because over the years in the West, the church has become kind of a monument, kind of an institution. And, and, and some of that is good. And those missional communities that transformed Europe after the fall of of Rome, they were sent for, from and prayed for and empowered and supported by the institutional church back in Rome. So some of that's good. But ultimately, culture doesn't get changed by monuments. It gets changed by movements. Movements are viral. They grow on their own. Movements are bottom-up, not top-down. Movements are flexible. And here's what's in it for us, because we're kind of always asking that question, right? Like, what's in it for me? That here's what's in it for us. Movements are just more fun to be a part of. Now, they require sacrifice, but they're also just more exhilarating, like riding a wave. And that's what you see in the scripture that Rich just read. It's kind of in the middle of this full-blown movement. The Jesus movement has gone viral, and the religious authorities are frustrated because they don't know how to stop it. 
And in fact, this movement starts two chapters earlier. So let me just kind of do an outline of these chapters in Acts to show you how a movement kind of works. It starts back in chapter 3 when the apostles Peter and John heal a lame man. And then a crowd gathers and Peter talks about Jesus. And then the religious leaders put Peter and John in jail, but release them on the condition that they stop talking about Jesus. They keep talking about Jesus anyway. And then in chapter 4, the Christians start selling their possessions to give to those in need, which makes the Jesus movement grow even more. So then the religious leaders put Peter and John in jail again, but then an angel lets them out and they keep on talking about Jesus and the thing keeps growing. It can't be stopped. Oppress God's people, they multiply. Put them in prison, they get angel help. Crucify their Messiah, he becomes savior of the world. And throughout these chapters, you see the religious leaders kind of playing spiritual whack-a-mole with the Christian movement, right? Like they whack it down one place, but it just pops up in another place. There was a saying back then that said the blood of Christians is seed. Because whenever they killed Christians, conversions to Christianity in that region went up. And you see the same thing happening all over the world, places like China, Middle East, all over the world. You can't stop the tide, but you can have a lot of fun if you ride the wave. So what I want to do is I want to go back to chapter 3 of Acts and look at how this movement started for some clues of how we can be part of an exhilarating movement that revives all things. And it starts with this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So point one, movements start as part of your ordinary routine. See, Peter and John were just doing what they did every day. They're just going to prayer. Probably passed this beggar every single day. But on this day, God gave them a nudge and helped them see an opportunity. See, the point of this sermon is not that we all go out and add something to our already busy schedules. No, no, no. You know, like, don't be sitting there going, oh, great, now i got to start a movement. <laughs> Guess I'll pencil that in for Tuesday at 3. You know, start a movement. No, 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 we're already too busy. It's not necessarily doing more things. It's doing what you're already doing with an eye to the opportunities God gives us every day. So then they, say, they see this beggar, and it says Peter looks straight at him, which is point number two. Movements start when we notice people. God gives us opportunities every day to change people's lives if we just ask him to help us see them and then don't duck the opportunities when they come. Small moments can launch a movement, and I'm going to give you an example of that toward the end of the sermon. Then the text says the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them, namely money, which Peter and John do not have. Which brings me to point number three. One of our greatest resources is what we don't have. Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus, walk. It's what Peter didn't have that led him to depend on Jesus for the bigger thing, the greater thing. You know, so often we get paralyzed by what we think we lack. I don't have enough time to help someone. I don't want to get in a spiritual conversation with someone. What if they ask questions that I don't know the answers to? I don't have enough talent. I'm not young enough. I'm not old enough. Right? All kinds of stuff. Sometimes when we ask folks if they'd be willing to host something in their home, say a community dinner or a small group, sometimes people will say no because of all the pressure they feel to have a perfectly clean house and the perfect dinner. You know, there's another way to look at it. I, I've told you before about a friend who keeps her house a little bit mess messy so that when someone who doesn't follow Jesus comes over, the messy house kind of indicates you don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. And she says she finds people more willing to talk about their lives honestly if her house is a little messy, which is exactly why Christina and I keep our house a mess. <laughs> We're serving you. 
See what we do for you people? The sacrifices we make? Right? So, so maybe it goes like this. Maybe you have folks over and your house is messy. And they think, you know what? We have a messy house too. We could have people come over to our house. And then maybe some of those people do the same thing. And you've launched a little movement that creates community, which people desperately need. So here's an application point. Go home, mess up your house, open a can of soup, have some folks over. Don't you dare clean your house this week. Pastoral command, okay? Can I have an amen? There you go. All right, I just set you free. I remember talking to a, a, a pastor from Rwanda, and he said, Scott, I, I, I feel sorry for you. Your job is so much harder than mine. And I said, what do you mean? You're in Rwanda. You're in one of the poorest countries in the world. And he said, yes, but every day someone shows up on my doorstep needing food or shelter or medicine, and I don't have it. Here, you would just send them to some kind of agency. The only thing I can do is pray. And because of that, I will see miracles. You never will, Scott. What we have, our money, our skills, our answers, that sometimes gets in the way. Because we shrink our vision down to what we can accomplish rather than relying on Jesus for the bigger thing that he can do. What you don't have is sometimes the most powerful thing that you do have. So here's the good news. Your complete and utter incompetence can start a movement. Let that be a comfort to you. Which brings me to point number four, and that is it's about Jesus' power, not ours. Text says that Peter, taking him, the beggar, by the right hand, very specific detail, sounds like an eyewitness account, wouldn't be in there if you're making it up, too specific, helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and then he went with him into the temple, walking and jumping and praising God. See, life had flattened this man, but suddenly his horizons are expanded, and he's walking, and he's leaping, and he's praising God, and this is the moment that the Jesus movement goes viral, and he starts it, and that movement changes the Roman Empire over time for the better. Not through politics, but just people living differently. We can be part of a movement that shapes our culture for the better, but it won't happen through our power as an institutional church. That can be helpful in some ways, but ultimately viral movements change culture. As each one of us reaches out to people that life has flattened, and we see them every day, reach out to those people and help them up and help them expand their horizons. We can't do that on our own, but through Jesus' power, he can do a whole lot of stuff and revive a whole lot of people. Okay, well, what does that look like practically, Pastor? Like daily, what does that look like? Give me some practical stuff here. Well, my congregation filled with engineers of various kinds. I love you, but I'm going to have to tell you something. There is no blueprint. There is no blueprint. It's about following the nudges that we get every single day. Well, how do I know if that nudges from God or just me making it up? Oh, who cares? If it's biblical, moral, legal, do it anyways. Analyze it later. Serious. Just like we, because we're, you know, I do this too. Is that God or is that me? Is that indigestion? Just that the biblical, moral, legal, just do it, right? Sometimes it'll, something will happen. Lots of times something won't, but you're following. Now, all of this means, of course, that we ourselves also have to have an experience of Jesus. You can't give what you don't have. A few verses after this, Peter's put in jail. An angel lets him out of prison. That's an experience of Jesus. What prisons has Jesus let you out of? What prison doors has he opened for you? For me, it's, it's a lot. Panic attacks, divorce, lack of confidence. Jesus has helped me get better in all of that. A perfect life I do not have, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand and walk out of whatever prison you are in because he has opened the door. It's just the devil's got you convinced the doors are still closed. 
And if you want to receive more of Jesus, experience more of Jesus during communion, there'll be prayer ministers around the room. I would encourage you just to go and say, I just want a deeper experience of Jesus. Please pray for me. Through Jesus, movements get started. The text says that when the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. The Greek word for ordinary men is idiotai. Does that sound like anything to you? Idiotai? Right? Basically, when they realized they were idiots, they said, it must be Jesus doing this. They couldn't do that. What did, may that be said of me? Dudley, man, idiot. Must have been Jesus through him. If anything got done, good. That's why in this passage that we read today, where the movement is full-blown, Rabbi Gamaliel says, look, if this thing is of human origin, it's just going to fizzle. But if it is from God... You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. You can't stop the tide. If we try to start a movement, it'll fizzle. But if each one of us in our school, neighborhood, office, listened carefully and paid attention to the nudges God gives us and acted on those nudges to help someone whom life has flattened, if each one of us did that, and if just once a year, just once a year, one person took note that we had been with Jesus, did that because of Jesus, and just that one person got interested in following Jesus, that's 4,000 new Christians in one year. And if each one of them did the same thing, that's for another 4,000 in the second year, and so on and so on. See, math is fun. See how that works? It starts small, but then it grows, as long as it's Jesus that we are following. And that can heal a culture, as it did for the Roman Empire, as it did after the fall of Rome, as more and more people followed Jesus and culture changed for the better, women started being treated better, slaves, human sacrifice was a thing of the past. It can happen. Now, truth in advertising... This will also involve sacrifice, even suffering. The text says the high priest and his associates were filled with jealousy. See, there it is, the movement, the monument. The monument will always interfere. The institution, the bureaucracy, always there to stamp out a movement. That's what you can depend on the monument to do that. And then they have the apostles whipped, but it says they left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. They left rejoicing. Wouldn't it be cool to have that kind of unstoppable joy? That comes from a close connection with Jesus and being part of something bigger than you, like a moving wave or a movement. This summer, I went to a conference at a church in Redding, California. Chris Martinson was there. Kyle Harmon, modern worship director, was there. And the conference ended Friday night, but Kyle and I planned to stay over to go to church on Sunday morning at that church, which was great because that left us all day Saturday to go sightseeing in Redding. Mm-hmm. In summer. It was 115 degrees. So on Friday night, Kyle said, you know, Scott, we came to this conference to connect to God, and a sacred space for both of us is a baseball park. So why don't we go to San Francisco and catch a Giants game at AT&T Park? And so I was thinking, okay, let's see, that's four and a half hours of driving each way, nine hours of driving total for a three-hour game, clearly God's will. So we went, had a great time. I love AT&T Park. It's just an awesome park. Afterwards, got a great dinner in Little Italy in San Francisco. Walked around the city for a while. On the way home, Kyle and I were having this amazing, great conversation. I was really into it. And then all of a sudden, the car just died. So I just kind of coasted to the side. And I was like, what on earth? Kyle leaned over and goes, we're out of gas. <laughs> I was so into the conversation. I wasn't paying attention. I had even seen the little gaslight come on. I'd even seen the, I even noticed, oh, look, the gaslight is on. Somehow it did not connect in my brain. We had filled up in Reading. Why would we need to fill up again 400 miles later? 
Well, it was almost midnight. Nearest gas station was like 10 miles away. Finally, a state trooper came by and gave us a ride to the gas station, but we had to ride in the back of the patrol car. <laughs> so, so as we're getting in, Kyle goes, this doesn't look good. You are like, pastor and worship leader in back of patrol car. Okay, here's the really humiliating thing. My wife and I occasionally have this ongoing conversation about when to fill up the car. Like, I like to fill it up at about halfway there. My wife likes to fill it up right when the light comes on. I always say, you're going to run out of gas someday. Now I can't. <laughs> that joy is taken away from me. That was one of the most fun days I've had all year. I was just being carried along by this string of really fun things, kind of oblivious even to things like running out of gas. Stuff like that just made it better. It's a little like that when you're part of a movement. It's exhilarating, and even the difficult stuff, in a way, makes it bigger, deeper, richer, better. Because, see, if church is just a monument, a place I go to to sing some songs and hear a talk, that's good. We need it. It puts fuel in our spiritual tank. But if it stops there, that's not enough. That'd be like Kyle and I filling up the car in Reading, but never actually going to AT&T Park. Just if we just sat there in the car in the gas station. Way less cool and slightly creepy. <laughs> when we are part of a movement, it expands our horizons and we get a bigger life. The beggar in this story just wanted a handout. And Peter said, I can give you so much more. I can give you, I can expand your world. It's even bigger than the miracle. Plenty of people walk. A lot of them don't have joy. And this story doesn't end with the miracle. It ends with him praising God, and he becomes a catalyst for revival. If following Jesus shrinks your world, something is wrong. If following Jesus doesn't expand your horizons, if it's never led you to do something scary outside your comfort zone, if it hasn't led to you experiencing some hoodathunkets and being a little out of control, which is another thing we're going to have to get used to, us nice, tidy, Eastside Presbyterians, movements can't be controlled. If following Jesus hasn't expanded your world, something is terribly wrong pastor named Hugh Halter has two girls in ice hockey. And his routine is to drop them off at practice a couple times a week. And then he's an introvert, so he goes off by himself, reads a book until the practice is over. Well, one day he felt God nudge him to just go introduce himself to one of the other dads. So he walks up to this guy and he said, hi, my name is Hugh, and shook hands with a guy named Rich. That was it for the day. Next day, he said, hey, Rich, mind if I sit here? So he started sitting with Rich every single day at the, at the practice. After a few weeks of that, he and Rich would drop the kids off at the practice and go get coffee and just talk about life and what was important to them, stuff like that. After a couple of months of doing that, they were driving off to get coffee. Another dad said, hey, where are you going? Hugh said, coffee, do you want to come? Pretty soon, every dad on that team would drop off their kids and they'd all go get coffee together, three carloads full. Then they started golfing and skiing together and stuff like that. Over half of those dads started going to Hugh's church. Now, that's not why he introduced himself to Rich that day. He was just following a nudge, but it kind of took on this life of its own. And some of those guys started following Jesus, and out of that, some marriages got better, and some families got closer. And some guys found a community that they could, you know, buddies that they could go golfing and skiing with, but also get beyond news, weather, and sports down to the real stuff and find some support and encouragement. He started a movement. How did he do it? Hi, my name is Hugh. Just that simple. It didn't add a thing to his schedule. He was already there. He relied on Jesus' power. He didn't try to control it. He didn't even try to do something religious. Just go hang out. And, you know, a little, you know, a little deliberate. Let's get beyond news, weather, and sports. But, you know, he, he just, let's just go hang out. And not in a nerdy Christian way. 
right? Not in a, hey, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going? Because it's to hell. That's the good news of Jesus. No. Bad form. No. Hey, let's just hang out. And everyone's world got a little bigger. And dropping the kids off at practice went from being a have to to a get to. It always starts small, but then becomes a movement. You know, we Eastsiders, we want the monumental, don't we? We want that big thing. Let's do that big thing. And sometimes that can be super helpful. But if it's helpful, it's always because at some point it starts small, one person to another, life on life, because it's relationship that changes us. It's incremental, not monumental. So here's your homework. If you weren't here last week, please watch last Sunday's sermon, September 27th. It's called Read the Times or... The staff's name for that is the Hot Queens Lecture, so you can just watch it for that alone. It's on the website if you weren't here. Second, and I'm going to do this one. Every day, pray, Jesus, help me see an opportunity today to partner with you to revive someone. And then if you get a nudge, act on it. And a lot of times nothing really comes of it, but if something happens, that's cool. Tell someone. Tell me. I'd love to hear it. It's encouraging. Three, be a good steward of your influence this week because we all have influence. Even if you do nothing, you influence people to do nothing. So let's say in your school or your office, there's a spirit of gossip or complaining, and that can kind of go viral, right? You do the opposite. If it's gossip, do the opposite. Build others up. If it's complaining, do the opposite. Point out good stuff. See if you can't start a counter movement. Because here's the deal, guys. We live in a historic moment, the, the kind of culture shift that happens, has happened only twice before. And those major shifts can be scary and disorienting, but also exhilarating and really cool because they're an opportunity. And I know your heart, Bill Press. I know your heart. When the history of our time is written, you want that TBD to read well, to read visionary, to read inspiring. But it's got to be a movement, not some kind of monument. And movements start really small. Hi, my name is Hugh. Here's the deal. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on your marriage. God has not given up on your family. God has not given up on your school or your workplace. God has not given up on our culture or on this country. And he says, I put you here at this time to turn that TBD into a movement the likes of which the world will never forget. And I know you. I know you want this. I mean, I know that you sort of think what you really want is a promotion or a vacation or a Lexus. I know, but not really. Not deep down. No, not deep down. Silver and gold and Lexi have I none. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, bell press, stand, walk, look for that small moment that can start a ripple effect because when the history of this time is written and when those saints go marching in, you want to be one of them. And so do I.